0: Good morning and welcome on this 4th of July weekend, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Jesus said, whoever welcomes you welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Whoever welcomes a prophet in the name of a prophet will receive a prophet's reward and whoever welcomes a righteous person in the name of a righteous person will receive the reward of the righteous. And whoever gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones in the name of a disciple, truly I tell you, none of these will lose their reward. The Gospel of the Lord. I speak in the name of the one living God, Father, Son, and and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Our daughter Morgan is 32 years old and all of her life she has been a country music fan. Now you can take those two facts, put them together and extrapolate from it this reality that it was during Morgan's high school years, sophomore, junior, senior, that Taylor Swift burst onto the music scene like a volcano erupting. Now, some of you may be able to identify with this. During those years, when Morgan was in high school, Morgan controlled the radio in our car. (laughs) That means... I heard a whole lot of Taylor Swift. I heard every one of her songs. And now I have a confession to make. I kind of like Taylor Swift's music. <laughs> In fact, I, I wouldn't go so far as to call myself a Swifty, but if somebody wants out there wants to offer me a ticket to a Taylor Swift concert, I'm going to take it and go. Now, I'm thinking about Taylor Swift this morning because one of her early songs from that period of time when Morgan was in high school, I think relates very well to what we're going to be talking about today. The name of the song is You Belong with Me. It's a song by Taylor, sung by Taylor that uh, is a song of unrequited love. The singer is in love with a a young man, but unfortunately, this young man is in love, apparently, with another woman. And the song is all about the singer. The singer tells us all the reasons that that woman is wrong for the young man, and she is right for the young man. It's a fun song. But the part that I think is of significance to us today is the refrain. And it goes like this. Been here all along, so why can't you see? (laughs) That's the best I got, folks. (laughs) Been here all along, so why can't you see? You belong with me. You belong with me. This refrain, I think, is a perfect way for us to interpret today's lesson from Genesis. That's right. You heard me correctly. The story of Abraham and Isaac, the binding of Isaac, this very famous story, is best interpreted through the, through the music of Taylor Swift. Now I want you to remember, you heard it here first, folks. <laughs> we'll circle back around and I'll explain to you how This all intersects in a few minutes, but first, let's take a look at this story from Genesis. Now, I first encountered this story when I was a young child in Sunday school, probably eight or nine, and I can remember being told by the Sunday school teacher that the moral of the story is that God demands obedience, and if we are obedient, we will be blessed. God will do us favors. Well, when you're eight or nine, your sensibilities are, that's fine, and I just moved along. And it was a long time before this story came to my attention again. In fact, decades. I, I was an adult. I was grown. Darling I were married, and we had children. And so when I next encountered this story, it was through the eyes of a parent. And when I read the story with that set of sensibilities I was appalled. What kind of God demands that a father sacrifice his son? Particularly Abraham asked that Abraham, demand that Abraham sacrifice the son that he had been promised, the son he had waited decades for. What kind of God does that? And on the other hand, What kind of father says, okay, and begins a journey to sacrifice his son? Appalling. Terrifying. There is, however, a way to make sense of this. In fact, I think there is a way to see quite a lot of good in this story if we change our perspective of the story just a little bit. And to get there, I think we need to talk about the genre of, uh, of Genesis. The first part of Genesis, up until the appearance of Abraham, is described by biblical scholars as myth. Now, myth carries with it a lot of Baggage. So maybe we could say allegorical stories. But in any event, these are stories that were never intended to be history, never intended to be taken as facts. Rather, stories meant to tell us something eternally true, an eternal truth about the nature of God, about about the nature of humanity, about our relationship with God. But with Abraham, the genre of Genesis switches. It now becomes saga. Saga has an element of historicity to it. Abraham really lived. Isaac really lived and their ancestors really lived. But saga is not pure history. It is not all to be taken as fact. There are elements of allegory or myth embedded in these sagas. Many biblical scholars believe that this story, the story of Isaac, excuse me, the story of, of Abraham and Isaac, the binding of Isaac, is one of those mythic allegorical stories inserted into the saga, meant not to be taken as, as literal fact, but meant to, 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 uh, advise us of a truth about the nature of God. And in fact, it is a, a crucial truth about the nature of God. So when we look at it this way, not as, not as fact, but an allegory, then we can get past all of the, the appalling, terrifying nature of it, and we can glean these jewels of truth from it. Now, a par, an important aspect of this story is the uh, literary device, if you will, of tension. The story begins in tension. Take your son, your only son, Isaac, the one you love. Ten words. And we can take those ten words and uh, do something we've been working with lately. And we can have a little midrash here where, we, where we, we fill in the missing parts, the emotions, the feelings. It would go something like this God says to Abraham, Take your son. Something about the way God speaks catches Abraham's attention, causes him to be concerned. What's going on here? So he replies, I have two sons. God says, your only son. Now, Something about what's going on that is even more worrisome to Abraham. So he says, well, this one is the son of his mother, and this other one is the son of his mother. There's a pause, and God says, the one you love. Uh-oh. Now Abraham is certain that there's something amiss here. He says, well, well I-, I love them both. I love them both. Another pregnant pause, Isaac. And Abraham knows that something not good is about to happen. In fact, God goes on to say, I want you to sacrifice your son Isaac. See how this tension builds. And we could go through this whole process for the whole story, a slow midrashic reading of it, but we don't have time. I will point out one other plateau of tension. It's that point in the story where where Isaac and, and Abraham have left the others behind and there's just the two of them are going up the mountain. Isaac turns and says, Dad, Dad, yes Isaac? I don't understand. I mean I know we're going up here and we're going to have a sacrifice and and, and you've got the fire and I'm carrying the wood, but where is the lamb? Can you imagine how those words pierced the heart of Abraham? And the tension continues to build as they go up and up the mountain, step by step to that fateful place. And it finally reaches its crescendo, this tension Isaac on the wood, bound, and Abraham with knife in hand at the throat of his son. The tension is at its very height when suddenly it is broken by God sending the angel to stay the hand of Abraham. And it is what happens next that reveals this crucial truth about God. So what happens next? Well, from from Abraham's perspective, not a whole lot. Abraham sacrifices the ram he's told to and then silently, wordlessly, goes about that task and then packs up, goes down the mountain, goes home with his son. Kind of makes sense. There's a lot for uh, Abraham to process here, isn't there? But then look at God. God's response is the antithesis of Abraham's silence. God's relief explodes off of the page. Now, now I know you love me. Now I can bless you. Now I know you will be obedient. This relief is palpable. It explodes again like a volcano. What's going on here? Why this Why this emotion of relief on the part of God? Let's think about this relationship between God and Abraham. Pre-Abraham, God worked on the whole world, trying to get the world to turn back to God. It wasn't met with a whole lot of success. So with the arrival of Abraham, God tries a new strategy. Remember, God says, I will make a covenant with you, with you, Abraham. And through you, through this one man, remember God said, all the nations of the world will be blessed. A new strategy, a great strategy, but but success of this strategy depends on this one man, on Abraham, on Abraham fulfilling his part of the covenant. And remember what a covenant is. It is not a contract. A contract is an arm's length agreement between two parties. And if one of those parties fails to fulfill his, her, its duties under the contract, the other party is released, has no obligations, but that's not what a covenant is. In a covenant, there is an agreement that the parties will perform in a certain way But it is a bond of love that holds the covenant together. And in a covenant that works, it is an unbreakable bond of love. And what what is inextricably bound up in love? It's vulnerability. Think about it. Every time in our lives that we have loved another person or love another person right now, that means we willingly make ourselves vulnerable. If we truly love another person, we are vulnerable because we risk that that other person will not return that love. And that's painful. So you see, God's relief, God's relief is a testament that God was vulnerable. God is vulnerable. God was willing to love Abraham and make God's self vulnerable. When the love was returned, when it was clear the love was returned, that's the reason for the divine relief. That's why the story begins with God tested Abraham. To see if Abraham would return that love. God was vulnerable to Abraham. And this story reminds us that God is vulnerable to each of us. Ellen Davis is one of my favorite theologians. I read a book chapter, I've read a book, but one of the chapters was on this binding of Isaac's story. And much of what I'm saying today, I owe to Ellen Davis. And Ellen Davis points out that this story reveals the divine vulnerability. And it is also most perfectly revealed in the person of Christ, or more specifically, in the picture of Christ, hanging on a cross. Remember now that Jesus was at the same time an ancestor of Abraham and the Son of God. And here's what Ellen Davis writes. She says, It is in Christ hanging on the cross that we see for once in history the two sides of this story joined in one person In Jesus Christ, we see a son of Abraham, sparing nothing, totally faithful in covenant relationship with God. At the same time, we see in Jesus God's total faithfulness expressed now as excruciating vulnerability even to death on a cross. What this story of Abraham and Isaac, this picture of Jesus on the cross reminds us is that for eons, for all eternity, for as long as humanity has existed, God has been reaching out to us in love. God has been vulnerable to humankind. And every time, every time, one of us or you or I turn away from God, then we exploit that vulnerability and hurt God. Nevertheless, for all of these eons, from the time of creation, through Abraham, through Jesus' time on this earth, God has always repeated over and over, Been here all this time, so why can't you see you belong with me? You belong with me. And today, right now, in this very place, God says once again to you and to me, been here all along, so why can't you see? You belong with me. You belong with me. Amen.